in our great extended family of faith. We think that's just outstanding. So I'm curious if your optimism has run out on 2018 yet. Uh, it does, does it feel like it's kind of lost its luster already? Uh, there's a way that we start out every year that feels like, oh, maybe this could be a year of maybe growth or dreams or some desires being um, kind of realized. Uh, and yet we take a few weeks into it and all of a sudden <clears throat> feels like we lose a little bit of the, the air out of our sails. So I, I wanted to create a series to kind of set the bar, maybe to reconcile some of our expectations uh, as well as with some of the promises of God. And so we're considering some of the promises of God and what they mean for us. Last week, if you remember, I brought out my um, Answer Me Jesus doll, uh, which is the Christian version of what I also brought, the Magic 8-Ball, because I think we're all looking for some kind of insight and wisdom into just daily living. And I, I don't consult these things, but... I know some of you are pretty interested uh, at the end of your Chinese food meals in the fortune cookie. Do you have any memorable fortunes that you remember? Has there been a fortune cookie that has stuck with you or, or, or a message that you went, okay, that just felt too ominous? If you're like me, they don't stick with you. In fact, they don't ever really mean much. But I started doing, because we're doing a series on good fortune, so I had to do a little research on fortune cookies because they're kind of a thing. They're an American thing, by the way, uh, not a Chinese thing. But <clears throat> I came up with some of the best fortunes that I felt like were maybe uh, most insightful or most uh, helpful. Um, and so here's, here's a few of them that I found. If you think you're too small to be effective, you've never been in bed with a mosquito. And all of God's people said, amen, yes. <laughs> he who throws dirt is losing ground. I like that. You can always find happiness at work on Friday. And I'm like, yes, it's the weekend. Praise God. Um, <clears throat> the greatest danger could be your stupidity, which I would think is profoundly true. Uh, he who laughs at himself never runs out of things to laugh at. You know, I think these are amazing, and I've never gotten any of them. Uh, uh, Here's one. He who laughs last is laughing at you, which I was like, oh, that's what that is. A uh, couple more. A conclusion is simply the place where you, <laughs> where you got tired of thinking. Oh. Okay, I'll, I'll take that as that melancholy quietness as you're being thoughtful about this. That was a joke. It was not meant to be humorous. Last one. Some men dream about fortunes. Other men dream about cookies. It kind of feels like uh, good fortune should be ours for the taking, doesn't it? I mean, we're Americans after all. We have a bill of rights. Uh, I, I sometimes wish that we would be a little better at taking responsibility that de than demanding our rights. Nevertheless, um, <clears throat> I think throughout all the ages, the people of God have always looked towards God as almost, God, you're this way, so why does my life feel this way? Uh, the, the, the people of God has always felt sort of God's uh, love, God's, God's pleasure, God's, God's favor, and yet we live in a broken world dealing with a lot of adversity with unmet expectations. And so the question is, is what do we do with the expectations, the desires, the struggles that we have, and how do we align those with some of the promises of God? 
God's word is full of promises. And sometimes I hear people like to claim a promise and almost rub the Bible like a genie lamp as if, God, you said this, so therefore it means I should get this. One of those promises that I hear quoted constantly, and I love the promise. I want to believe the promise. But here's the promise. Jeremiah 29, 11. Does anyone know this? For I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord, their plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Gosh, when you hear those words, do you believe them? Do you believe them as real or simply metaphorical? When you hear those words, what, what does it make you think of? How many of you would say, I could see today God's hand in my life. I can see God's faithfulness. I could see God's blessing. I think most people would say, yeah, I do. And yet we also understand that there's profound hurt. There's profound disappointment. There's profound need all around us. Except our needs are simply just different. But we all find ourselves in a both blessed and yet in a needy place. So how do we reconcile some of these promises where God's going, I got this. I've got plans for you, hope and a future. So what does that mean when we take the larger context of the promise of God? Um, and so what, God, uh, what we have here in the larger verse is God, what does God mean with that blanket statement of plans to, to prosper us? The, the larger passage of Jeremiah 29 um, is, is what I want to talk about tonight. And if you have your, your, maybe a note, uh, a little bulletin or something, and you want to just jot a couple of notes, uh, and hopefully you got a couple of strips of paper tonight, because there's going to be some writing involved. Uh, but maybe you just want to pull up on your, your Bible or your app on a phone. This passage of Jeremiah 29, um, it's part of a small letter written to the Jewish people who are in exile. This is really significant when we understand God's plan to bless us, God's plan to prosper us, God's plan to, quote, take care of us because he loves us. This is what we grow up believing. And yet this letter, in fact, this promise, is written to people who have been conquered, these people are now enslaved. They're being oppressed. If you think you've got a bad president, they've got a king who can do with them whatever they want, and they have no rights. And so this letter is written to these people who are now in exile. And Jeremiah encourages the Jewish people to submit to their Babylon rulers. Wait, why should we submit to them you're our God. Why should we somehow respect that authority when you're our God? But the, and the prevailing Jewish thought was that it was socially, spiritually, theologically okay to oppose your captors. And here's what he does. Jeremiah writes this whole letter to tell the people of God that they were defeated as their punishment for the evil and their refusal to turn. Turn is a significant word for us because we understand that simply to mean repentance. Repentance not as a reminder of what you did wrong, not a reminder of your inadequacies, a re a, 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 an invitation to turn, or what we would know as repentance, is being able to be sensitive to God's leading, God's spirit. And either we turn from something or we turn towards something. But either way, we're learning to be sensitive 
to the Spirit of God. This is what it means to practice a living faith. And so here's the people of God who sort of turned a deaf ear. They've quit being sensitive to God's leading, and now, as punishment, they find themselves in a worse-off place. And he's like, the only way out of this is for you to surrender. Really? Not try harder? Nope. Except that I've got a really high IQ. Except that I'm really well-educated. Except that I'm an American. And he's like, no, no. Your best path forward, surrender. For I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. Surrender? I've got too much fight in me. I've got too much control in me. Surrender? He's like, "Mm mm-hmm. Listen to the whole of this passage and what he says. Just not the whole, but starting in verse 4, he says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And then in verse 10, he says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. He tells them, That even in their captivity, even in their oppression, even in their struggle, seek the prosperity of the city. Because if the city benefits, so do you. It doesn't matter if you're on welfare, seek the benefit, the prosperity of the city. It doesn't matter that they are are maybe exploiting you or they've conquered you or they're oppressing you like a mean boss. Seek to bless. Seek to serve. Wait, wait, wait. Surrender? Mm -hmm. Because I know. The plans I have for you. They're plans to prosper you. So rather than delivering them, rather than saying, I got this, don't worry, God's going to get us out of here. I know it must have been some cosmic mistake that we lost that battle, that I ended up in this spot. God's going to get me out. I've got this get out of jail free pass, except they don't. In fact, what he says is get comfortable right where you're at. And, and this is actually problematic for me. I don't know. <clears throat> there's times where I, I kind of want to help God. Can I just push an eject button somewhere to get out of this circumstance? Could you just change this desire in my heart? Or could you just fill this bank account? Or could you just fix this car or fix this kid or fix this marriage and let it be over with? And he's like, here's what you do. Seek the prosperity and the, and the benefit of this city. Start with serving those around you. God is not going to remove us from the difficulty of our life, but he is going to be in the midst of it. Wait, 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 wait. You said that you love me. You said that I'm your own. You said that we were your chosen. Mm-hmm. You are. But if I deliver you now, why do you need me later? And he's courting us like a lover into this intimate sort of relationship where we learn 
to depend on him. Let me just make a couple of observations. You might want to jot a few of these things down, but let me just make a couple of observations about God's expectations of his people as I see it from this passage. Number one, apparently God doesn't prosper us by removing us from struggle, but he defines a way for us to experience his presence. When do you experience God's presence, God's direction? When do you feel like you learn the best lessons in success, in prosperity, (laughs) or in trial and error, in stumbling and falling, in failure? This is where God speaks to us most, is in the adversity of life. And he said, you know what? I can't just remove the struggle from your life because that would seem like you can do this all on your own. Seek me, but know that I'm with you in the midst of it. The Israelites always had considered themselves their God's children, but that didn't mean they were actually always following or always nurturing or always prioritizing that relationship. The second observation I would simply make is cities need churches, get this, that exist for the benefit of others. See, I believe that the church is God's response to a broken humanity. And we are the church. It's not a building that we meet in or a service that we hold. It's the lives that we lead as the living body or embodiment of Christ. And so understand, And this should inform lots of things, but I don't believe that government should have a huge social welfare program. I do think that the government has a responsibility to care for its citizens, but understand this. We are God's response as the church to meet the needs. We're going to be the ones that are there to come alongside broken marriages. That video that we had at the beginning, Change the Story, is supposed to be our testimony. How do we meet people right where we're at? We understand and we become the embodiment. See, I think we're God's response. And the way we respond is simply looking around to the margins. It's the church that's supposed to be willing to cross social divides so that we learn to find friendship with people from other cultures and other economic backgrounds. We're the church. We're God's extension to be able to cross all of those social divides that, by the way, are dividing our country. And this is an opportunity for the church to be what God intended the church to be. And so I kind of get this excitement because I see this is what God's plan was. And he says, I've got this. I know the plans for you. They're plans to prosper you. But you need to exist collectively for the benefit of others. Mm. You know what happens with most churches? is after about a few years, they grow into self-preservation. Well, we've got this overhead and we've got to pay these bills and we've got to meet these obligations, except that it kind of like, we've got to keep it how it was or we've got to to get back to how it was in the beginning. He's like, "Mm -mm. surrender. Keep surrendering to the needs of those around you. I'm going to keep bringing people into your path and showing you the needs around you and they're going to keep popping up. And I want you to be sensitive enough to the needs of the margins. The third observation I would simply make is that prosperity, as we see from this, is communal more than it is individual. The idea that there would be a growing gap 
is problematic in the economy of God. The word economy comes to us from the Greek, which means it's oikos. It means household. So the idea that we would have a, a growing disparity, meaning that someone's getting rich at someone else's expense, is problematic in the kingdom of God. So when we talk about prosperity, we have to understand that it's collective, it's communal. So he says, listen, if the city prospers, if the city experiences peace, you will benefit also. That's what it means for a church to have a vibrancy. That's what it means for a church to be alive. And the fourth observation I would simply make is, is that prosperity, uh, or excuse me, discipline is necessary for us to prosper. Now, discipline feels like the D word, does it not? I just said like a bad word, like, oh gosh, here we are. And, and I thought this was supposed to be mildly motivational talking about the promises of God, except that he just said discipline. Discipline kind of has two connotations. If you're a parent, you understand discipline uh, from the sense of, um, I want to be corrective in your life because I want there to be a more positive outcome. This attitude, this expectation, this behavior, this tone in your voice, whatever it is, needs to be sort of adjusted. And that's what a good parent does. The second connotation is the discipline required that all of us try and maintain with some kind of regimen like, a, like a, uh, an, an eating habit, an exercise routine, something that's going to produce positive growth. See, because change is inevitable. Growth is never to be assumed. So when we understand discipline is part of God's plan, and that's what he's doing with the people of God, thank God he hasn't answered every one of my prayers. <laughs> I mean, think about it. If I was God's child and he gave me everything I ever wanted, where would I be? And yet I feel God's pleasure as much as I feel God's discipline. I feel God's correction, conviction, as much as I feel his love and acceptance. God is a heavenly father who's disciplining the people of God constantly so that our lives can more align with his will. I mentioned earlier that next week we are having this um, two-year-old party. It's with a great Gatsby theme, kind of a roaring 20s. So be praying about your outfits. Um, if you just hate getting dressed up, just go business casual or coat and tie if you like. Just, it's a fun night to get dressed up. But if you want to Google some images from the Roaring Twenties, have fun with it. Just put something together. We're going to have a fun time. But I started just, it's been a long time since I've read The Great Gatsby. So I was thinking about, uh, you know, Fitzgerald and his writing. And I, and I just started doing a little research over Fitz, Francis Scott Fitzgerald. And, you know, he's considered one of the greatest writers of the 20th century. And it was in the 20s that he had been going and, and being a part of these parties in Long Island. And he, he was sort of captured by it. And the writer in him, and he's written so many other things, but this is kind of one of his most notable works was that um, he wanted to somehow capture this high society uh, lifestyle. Uh, and so he started writing The Great Gatsby, but progress was really slow. And in 1923, he kind of gives his first uh, 
kind of version of it and his editor politely goes ah it's okay and he says why don't you take the winter to do a rewrite and he does a redraft so then in about 1924 he kind of comes through and he writes through in 1925 the book gets published with very tepid reviews sort of like "Mm, it's okay and and it only sold about 20,000 copies it wasn't a big deal at all In fact, what I think is more astounding is that um, Fitzgerald ended up dying in 1940 and he never understood the success of his work. In fact, he died seeing himself as a failure because it was in the, uh, during World War II that the book captured the, the kind of the imagination of Americans and it had this revival to now to this day it's become a part of all high school curriculum and 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 many film and and stage adaptations have been done till now it's kind of in the running for the great American novel except that Fitzgerald never saw himself as much of a writer at least anyone who made a splash yeah he made a living doing it but he never saw himself any more than a failure. And what I think about when I read that and I hear that tale is that when you never get to see the benefit of your own success, when you never get to experience the impact you've had, whether it be as an accountant or whether it be as an engineer or whether it be as a writer or an educator, we live under sort of the curse of blindness. We live under, sort of below our inheritance that God has said, your life reflects me and it's blessing others even if you can't see it. See, the people of God were stuck in exile. They were in captivity. They couldn't see God's hand and he was bringing them, developing them, courting them into a closer intimacy with him. And I think that's our testimony. We miss God's hand because we miss the prompts and the voice of God. We can't see the impact God's having on us or the the way our lives are touching others. God says, for I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans to prosper you, whether you can see it or not. Oh, plans for a hope and a future. And what God is wanting us to do is to be able to maybe have eyes to see. And I think part of God's plan isn't just to prosper us. It's to prosper others through us. Last week, as a part of our Good Fortune series, I wanted you, and and we took some time to write out prayers at the end. I don't know how many of you um, kept those prayers, but on your bulletin, I just had you write out some prayers as a part of our prayer. We we prayed a prayer of, of, of desire. We prayed a prayer of confession. We prayed a prayer uh, and wrote out a prayer of praise and thanksgiving because I think all of these things are important, both examination and gratitude. And so it's important for us at the front end of a new year to think about what is it we want God to do in us and more significantly through us because our lives are simply offerings. Tonight, you got a couple of slips of paper and hopefully something to write with. And I want to encourage you because tonight we're doing a series called Good Fortune. So I thought we have to, what would it be like to write out someone else's fortune? What would it be like if we learned a language of blessing where we'd be able to speak into someone else's lives? Just a simple way to bring peace and prosperity to the people in us. Maybe it might be to a neighbor. 
Maybe it might be to a spouse. Maybe it might be to a friend, a coworker. Maybe it might be to a sibling. I want you to speak a fortunate word into someone else's life. In fact, I want you to write it. I want you to write a fortune. So tonight, what we're going to do, take one or two of these and just write a blessing to someone else. Someone that might be unexpected, someone that has ministered to you, someone that has been gracious to you, someone that might have shown you patience, someone that might have showed you favor unexpectedly. But take time to think about people in your spheres of influence that might need to hear the spoken or at least written blessing from God through you. Because at the end, you know what we're going to do? You're going to make your own fortune cookies. We have a table with fortuneless cookies at the back. And they have a little baggie. And so what you're going to do is you're going to write out your fortune before the kids get back in here. Um, um, and, and, and by the way, you can write one for your kids, but that's the easy way out. Come on, think hard. I, I know this might be a little uncomfortable. It always is to be able to speak a blessing. We often think cool thoughts about other people. I want you to write them out and give it as like a gift. And then you're going to tuck it inside because I got the extra large opening ones. They were specifically made. And then there's a little baggie and you're going to take this with you and you're going to make this part of your offering to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city in which we live. Does it mean you start the next, you know, life works? Does it mean you start the next mobile loaves and fishes or community first? Probably not. But maybe the way we seek the prosperity of the city is we just start speaking one blessing. We speak of the good fortune that God has already brought through someone else. And they probably don't know it, but they need to hear it. So who's the neighbor? Who's the spouse? Who's the friend? Who's the coworker? Who's the boss or the subordinate? Who's the person, maybe the one who's further along in years that's just been a mentor or a guide? And maybe it starts by saying, I see you becoming more like Christ in how you do this. You want to come up and start playing? Or maybe you say, I see God in you when? If it helps to just start kind of going that way, there's different ways that you can phrase it. I see God shaping his desires in you. I see the joy of the Lord in you. May, your, may his joy be your strength. I see your care for others that God will show himself to you and your friends. So think about a way that you can just kind of scribble down a few thoughts. And um, before we leave tonight and before the kids come back in here, we've got a little craft table. There's some Chinese food boxes. And, and, and by the way, there's a lot of broken pieces. So if we run out, find two halves and put it together and, and they'll never know the difference, but put it in your baggie. But if you're like me, you, you, you kind of got to get a little nibbling inspiration. There's a lot of broken shells. Just grab some and just start nibbling. We can just gather around the table and, and, and start speaking a blessing. I think I want to learn a language of hopefulness. I want to learn a language. We have, we have a culture that's just drunk with accusation. We have a culture that's just intoxicated with slander and gossip. This is a chance for us to be the church, to be the people of God, and learn a language to speak blessing, prosperity, hope, and good 
fortune into lives that God has brought in us. God, we give you this time. So give us your thoughts. Bring people to mind. Bring words to our, to our pencils and pens. Help us to be people who not only seek your good fortune, but give your good fortune to those around us. Make us a blessing as you have already blessed us. And for this, Lord Jesus, we will give you all the praise.